Tesloop is a ride-sharing company. Karmic is a car-sharing company. And Rahul Sanad is the CEO of both. It's the story of a startup that's exploring new opportunities in mobility. Underwriting for the production of Autoline this week has been provided by RSM. for challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM, audit, tax, and consulting for the middle market. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week. Today we're going to be talking about the new mobility, ride sharing and car sharing. And the reason we're diving into that is we've got something of an expert here on it. Rahul Sanad is the CEO of, I guess, two companies here, Tesloop and Carmic. Yeah. And I want to thank you for being on the show with us today, Rahul. Yeah, Tesloop's the company and Carmic's our new product that we've just released. Okay, and we'll get into those details in just a minute, but I've got to explain that also joining us today are Joanne Muller with Axios, and Sam Abusamed with Navigant Research. And good to have the both of you on the show as well. It's great to be back again, John. Well, let, in, in a real quick thumbnail, Rahul, let's go through what, what is Tesloop, and then we'll get into Carmic. Sure. Yeah. So we started Tesloop really inspired by the fact that um, cars are becoming electrified, connected, and semi-autonomous. And our feeling was that there's really a platform shift here to kind of a digital automobile. And so Tesloop, what we were doing is running a shuttle, like a Greyhound bus in Model X cars, very high-end, very automated, um, very personalized. And we did that for about three years. And that was what, from L.A. to San Diego? That was, yeah, first to L.A. to Vegas, then to Palm Springs, and then to San Diego. And those were the only r routes that you were Right. Running. So we were just in Southern California. And um, in the course of doing that, we built a lot of software to query the cars, manage them, open them, check the battery, check the mileage, uh, share information with Goodyear Tires and Farmers Insurance. And um, we kind of realized that the value of doing that was very high. So recently we said, hey, instead of just using this in our cars, what if we enabled this to be used for every Tesla of anybody who wants to utilize this? So in October, we launched what we call Karmic, which is a uh, kind of a digital manager for car owners to manage their electric connected cars. Uh, just manage their cars or to let other people rent them out yeah, when they're that, not using them? Yeah, so when we think of things you can do with connectivity, it's uh, grabbing data, storing it, analyzing it, you know, look at battery behavior, driving behavior, uh, and then services like facilitating tire service, insurance, car cleaning, those types of things. And then we think economically the most important is taking, you know, the 20-plus hours that most cars sit and putting that back to work by renting it out to others. How does it know the difference between my data and the person who rents my car? Uh, well, we know if it's being rented or we know if, you know, it's not being rented. So we're gathering all of that data and storing it. But in our model, uh, your car's data is your own. Um, 
you have rights to that. We're not trying to take ownership of it. However, when it's being rented, then uh, that data we are um, managing and kind of uh, optimizing. Are, are you also running the, the platform that enables the car sharing or the, the, car, the car rental service for owners, or are you just doing the, the data analytics part yeah, of it? Yeah, no, we're um, just starting that. We did our first um, like monthly peer-to-peer -peer rental. We've been renting our own cars for a long time, doing one-way rentals from LA to San Diego in a kind of a high mileage, you know, rent for six hours, rent back, rent there, rent back. Um, but now we're starting peer-to-peer, -peer, so we're taking cars that we don't own and enabling um, the owners to rent them to other people. And we're starting that in a kind of long-term monthly mode, but then we'll also start enabling shorter term. Rahul, one of the things I find so interesting with what you've done with Tesloop is you've racked up a lot of miles on some of these Teslas. Right. What's your experience with them from a maintenance, a depreciation, and all that kind of standpoint? Yeah, so um, I think at this point we have eight out of the 10 highest mileage cars, all over 250,000 miles. The highest mileage is 450,000 miles, and we've done that you know, in just a little over three years. So uh, you know, we were running a lot of miles. Uh, and, and our experience, I think, has been that uh, it surprised us how little effort it is to keep these cars running. Now, on certain occasions, there have been um, problems with batteries that uh, typically are, well, in all cases, have been covered by the warranty. Um, we've had, like, two cars that are, like, exact same batch, same time. One has gone 350,000 miles with no battery problems. Others has had problems. So I think there's at very high mileage, like battery chemistry changes, and there's some, I think, just unknowns for the whole industry. Um, but the overall maintenance, like on that 450,000 mile car, has been about $20,000. And that includes things like where we drove it underwater and messed up the headlights. And a lot of that is air conditioning because driving to like Palm Springs every day just means the air conditions on 24-7. So I think, you know, they haven't really been designed for that type of uh, service levels. Um, but, you know, I, I think the interesting thing is you can have cars with hundreds of thousands of miles on them and they're extremely reliable. Like you're not worried is something going to go wrong. Yeah, I think one of the, the big questions uh, with batteries is when you're continuously doing DC fast charging on them, um, the, the, the strain that that puts on the batteries and you combine that with the temperatures in Southern California, uh, do you have, what, what sort of experience have you had? You, you mentioned some of, them, some of the batteries have had to be replaced, but in general, the ones that have held up, how has how the, the capacity of the battery held up over that time? Yeah, um, degradation has never really been a problem. Um, if you consider like, you know, less than 15% degradation uh, is not being a problem. So you might go from, I don't know, 280 miles in range to losing 30, so you're at like 250 or something, which for us is good enough to get to San Diego, charge, come back. So in the context of, you know, when we're doing ride shares, um, you know, you'd see degradation, which means if you're going to Vegas, you'd have to charge more in the middle. Um, but, you know, I think we were treating the batteries like the worst way you could, like, you know, charging them as much as possible, all the way down, all the way up, all the way down, like uh -huh. four times a day, fast charging, 24-7, Christmas, Thanksgiving, New Year's, you know, just no stop. 
Um, and, and still they did remarkably well, you know, minus a few exceptions where, uh, and, and what happened in those cases were usually like the subsystems would um, shut the car down because they thought there was some problem, even though potentially there wasn't a problem. It was just the reading that was a safety protector. Let's talk uh, economics. Yes. Can you make money offering ride sharing like you've been doing? Yeah. And what kind of money might you be, be able to make uh, uh, your company, Carmic? Not, yeah. And what could owners of cars make by renting out their cars? Yeah. So, so when we think of um, like kind of the economics, there's ride sharing where you're hiring a driver and somebody's booking a seat, or there's car sharing, which is basically like you're renting a car either for a short period or a longer period. And I think business-wise, they're very different. Like the rideshare economics are dominated by labor costs. Like they become the majority of your Meaning cost. Meaning the driver. The driver, really. Uh, this is the Uber model, right? Uh, You're talking yeah, about? we, I mean, in our- Long-range Uber model. Yeah, in our model, okay. it was like long-range Uber pool. So okay. like I call that like a mini Greyhound bus. Like I you see. get, you know, four seats booked and you, you know, you go off. Now, now the interesting thing about- um, doing long distance in cars versus buses is it's much more efficient when you have like four people in a car because you can pick everybody up along the way, drop them. You don't have a big overhead. You don't, people don't need to come to the edges. But um, the, the labor law, especially in California, is very uh, challenging on many levels. I think in other states like Arizona or Florida, it would be much more attractive. Um, but really that business is a lot around managing um, People, you know, the you, you need customer support. You need um, uh, like uh, what we called ground control, which is kind of a dispatch system, and then you need drivers, and all of those need to be working together. Um, so that's kind of on the rideshare side. On the car share side, it's very different. Like the car share challenge is, uh, you, you know, I, I think if you own a car, to me, there's kind of two kinds of people. One is like, I just don't want anybody else in my car, and, and that's fine. There's a lot. Maybe I think that's the majority, maybe. Um, and then there's other people who are like, for the right price, absolutely, you know. And um, with, uh, like, I think the challenge for everybody is like, right now, if you look at Tesla owners, probably like a tenth of 1% do, you know, car sharing on these Turo or get around or something. So it's a tiny sliver. But to me, that's not because they don't want to do it. It's because just the hassle is too much. Like they don't need a second job cleaning cars and doing customer support. So our contention is by using connectivity, you can first look at how they're using the car, suggest when they want to share it, and then make that completely automated so they don't need to think about it. You can schedule the cleaning, you can schedule you know, tire service, all of that as needed uh, by leveraging connectivity, kind of like we were doing when we were doing rideshare. Um, so if it really is just like, I use my car as I always have, but once in a while it leaves and comes back clean, I, I think that becomes much more attractive to a, a large number of people. Is Karmic planning to offer those kinds of ancillary services like the cleaning and relocation of cars, things like that? Yes, absolutely. Now, uh, not just like whether it's insurance or car cleaning, we don't plan on um, you know, providing those, but we plan on coordinating all of them through the software. Yeah. Do okay. you have employees that have to 
move those cars around for uh, Again, not our own. This would be through third parties. And, and, and again, our goal is to do this globally. So, you know, in any given region, you're going to have different people and different labor laws and all of that. So we want to provide all the software that coordinates all of that. There's a huge layer of kind of managing expectations, policies, uh, you know, getting everything in place, coordinating all these services that really um, becomes uh, critical when you're doing car sharing. Okay, so let's say I got a, a Tesla, yes. a 3, an X, an S. Yes. How much money could I make putting it into your system? Yeah, so um, our feeling is there's two key scenarios. One is um, I'm driving my car every day and, and maybe there's periods, maybe I, I'm in San Francisco and I take the BART to work and so I don't use it during weekdays or maybe I don't use it on weekends or maybe just between nine and five I, you know, while I'm at the bank I don't use my car. So there's that kind of time slicing. And then the other scenario is just like my car is three years old, I'm thinking of selling it, but instead of selling it I can rent it. And what we see now with the high mileage Teslas, meaning like over 40, 50,000 miles, is they're relatively cheap. You can get like a used Model S for thirty dollars to $40,000 with free supercharging and autopilot, um, uh, which is maybe like a $600 a month payment if you finance it. But that car will rent for close to $1,000 a month. So there's a pretty big right now like arbitrage opportunity in terms of the value of the car as a rental versus the cost of financing the car. Um, and then I think if you're talking about time slicing it, uh, it really depends on how much time you have. But I think, again, if, if you don't need your car on weekdays, you can probably pay for your car completely. So that would be like $800 for a Model 3 or maybe like $1,300 for a S or an X, you know, in, you know, depending on the type, but rough, rough numbers. Um, and, and, and I think the... You know, the reality of the markets today, like Turo, Get Around, um, uh, is that there's not that much liquidity. You're not sure how much it'll be used. They're very, like, nascent markets. Um, so we think, uh, you know, when you start, there's going to be uncertainty. Maybe you'll make $300 this month. Maybe you'll make 900 you know, depending on just if somebody comes into town and books it for two weeks, that type of thing. But I think um, quickly as you get into, you know, next year, you're going to have a much more just fluid, liquid market. And, um, you know, the idea of making consistently, uh, let's say if you have a $1,000 a month car, meaning like it costs $75,000 or something like that, that would be about 1000 a month. I, I, I think the idea of making... You know, fifty dollars a day is very um, reasonable. So, so, so that would again pay for the car. In, in that second scenario you described, of uh, you know buying a, a car to use just for this type of service, um, as opposed to the time slicing, do you see people buying, um, you know, just buying, you know, just having one car that they use for that, or maybe buying a small fleet and yeah. operating that as a business of their own, essentially being their own yeah. car rental firm? Yeah. So, so I think you're seeing people start doing that in Turo with Teslas and with other mm -hmm. sets of cars. Um, I, I think there's a very um, attractive, very short-term opportunity for getting a bunch of cars and doing that. We, we actually see the bigger opportunity um, just for people not buying a car to do it, but rather I have an old car, and instead of selling it, it becomes the alternative. So just for example, our first car that we call eHawk has 450,000 miles. If you go to Kelly Blue Book, it says the value is $15,000, um, you know, because it's high miles. But 
it happens to have like a relatively new battery. Um, and, uh, you know, we can rent that out for a thousand a month easily. So like in one year, you know, 15 months, we get the full value of the car back. So clearly it doesn't make sense to sell that car versus renting it. And I think that's that's kind of a very pronounced case because the mileage is so high. But I think you see that even on a car with like 50,000 miles. Connectivity is something that's rapidly becoming standard on pretty much all new cars. Yeah. It certainly will be within the next few years. Yeah. Um, did you did you have to work with Tesla to develop your platform to get the, the information, uh, to extract the information that you're using? And, and do you see yourself expanding beyond Tesla with your platform? Yeah. So, so Tesla's an open platform where the owner can delegate uh, access to their connectivity to anybody they see fit to. Um, that said, because we were running in fleet mode, um, you know, we have a fleet API agreement, which is a few special different things, like you can't disable it on the cars and what have you. Wait, what's an API? Oh, right. API is a uh, programmatic interface. So this is what lets you call with a computer to Tesla servers that then talk to the car. Um, in real time, pretty much. So we can say, where's the car, open the doors, limit the top speed. Um, so uh, our feeling is that the biggest um, economic opportunity is really on electric cars, because if you have a car that's going to last 500,000 or more miles, which I think every like normal Tesla will, uh, you'll never run it into the ground yourself, you know, because that's too many miles. Whereas if you have, like, if you, if you loan me your BMW 3 Series and um, I give it to somebody, they drive it to Vegas and back, and I give you $200, you're like, okay, I made $200, but am I making money? Am I losing money? It's hard to figure that out. And, and if you do that enough, your car's dead. Um, whereas uh, if it's a Model 3 or something, you know, even if you put 200,000 miles doing that, you, you still have plenty of mileage left for yourself. So we feel the economics of EV, they're kind of like free miles that are out there. And so we're very focused on that. But we, um, you know, in part uh, changed the product name to Karmic because of the realization that Porsche and Audi and VW and probably, you know, several other manufacturers in the near future will have cars that are uh, equivalent to Tesla in terms of their connectivity and electric uh, drivetrains. Um, you know, there, there's, as you mentioned, there's a, a bunch of new EVs coming to market yeah. in, in the, you know, already now and, and in the very near future. Um, you know, are you also looking at uh, more mainstream brands like Hyundai and Kia, for example? You know, they've got the, the Kona EV, the Kia Niro EV, and, and yeah. others, uh, you know, at, that might be available to people at more affordable price points? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our feeling is that if you have a connected car, it should clearly be on a connected network. It's kind of like, like in 1990, you bought a PC and you were doing like Lotus 1, 2, 3 and you weren't on a network. And then, you know, by 95, you were on AOL or the internet or something. And then like once you're on the network, it, you'd never go back. Right. And, and we think kind of that's going to happen in the next couple of years. So every connected car should be connected to something that stores your data, that manages it, that analyzes it, that becomes your Carfax when you sell it. So um, again, our focus is going to be on EVs, but any EV we want to cover, uh, and EVs are a little different because of battery management and what have you, um, but the difference is uh, if you have a Ionic or something, you can't just give us your credentials. We would have to get 
cooperation from they the OEM. They don't, they don't, you don't have the API access that you'd have with Tesla right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. So, like in GM's case, they have kind of a walled garden where you apply to a developer program, you get approved. We've gone through that process. So that is, um, you know, once you do that, then the owners can give you um, access. And I think that's kind of like the Apple App Store where they look at everything, and I, and I think that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, but others are just like closed off and there's no current like mechanism to get that. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask about autonomy. Yeah. That's what I focus on yep. at Axios. Yep. Um, and uh, obviously Teslas are equipped with um, a fair bit of assisted driving yep. technology called autopilot, yep. not self-driving. Yep. For the record, it is not a self-driving car. But um, I'm concerned about this sharing model. Yep. When people are borrowing a car that they don't know or understand the technology, how do we educate them? And yeah. should there be some restrictions on them using that technology? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the education question is super important. And our goal is to be able to educate people remotely when they get in the car, on their phone, over video, show them how to use that. We've been doing that. We, like when we would hire uh, what we call pilots to drive our cars uh, in the rideshare mode, you know, they would have a two-day training course and we'd show them everything. Um, you know, we've condensed the essentials of that down to like 10 minutes for all the controls of the car and everything that we remotely uh, administer to people the first time they're driving in a car. But I think the, re like the statistical reality will be that if you show them how to turn autopilot on in a year or two, it will be safer than if they're trying to drive it without that or trying to drive a car that doesn't have that. Now that makes some assumptions on the progress of autopilot, but we're seeing it move rapidly forward. And like a lot of things like, you know, going out of your lane and hitting somebody or taking a left, you know, turning into somebody's lane, I think are becoming very um, like mitigated. Like the car is not letting you do that. It's very hard to rear end somebody with autopilot on uh, on the highway in Tesla's today. So I think um, the, the education becomes critical because there's the, the controls are not like completely intuitive. It's not like you drop into a car and you that know how to. My next question <laughs> to you is it, it, beyond beyond the autopilot question, just the HMI, the human and machine interface in general in Teslas tends to be a little different from most other cars. Yeah. And so does that education, that you know, training video uh, that you show them, uh, does that also kind of walk them through some of how to adjust the climate controls in a Model 3, for example, or you know, change wiper speeds? Yeah, like and, and to be clear, that's not a video, that's live training that we okay. do interactively with them because I think you need to be able to answer questions and show them and confirm they know how to do it and everything. Okay. So, uh, which again, if you're a Tesla owner, you probably don't have the skills sure. to do that well. So we think you know, taking that on ourselves is important. Um, yeah, so I think there's a, a full set of things you gotta show people. That, that said, I think um, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the user experience in the Tesla, like the machine-human interactions and everything. But like you're saying, it takes a little bit of getting used to, you have to kind of understand the boundaries and what happens um, and what you need to do and what you don't need to do. So. Um, yeah, it's important to So, so just to understand how this would happen, I want to rent a Tesla yeah. for a week. Yeah. Um, I go on your platform, Car Karmic, yeah. and I 
arrange to rent someone, an individual's car. Yeah. Then someone from your company brings me that car and gives me a 10-minute rundown of the technology. Uh, slightly different. So, okay. um, so either you come to the car or maybe the car's delivered to you, and that would be by not us but some third party. Uh, and then we would get on the video phone with you, and while you're, you know, before we let you take the car off, uh, we would, while you're in the car, make sure you know how to use the autopilot, if it has it, all of the cars don't have it. Uh, so it's a live instruction yes. over video, yes. not in person. Uh, correct. Or okay. Yeah. Or and we think that's the only thing that scales. Like you can't, mm -hmm. you know, train somebody in, you know, Grand Rapids and New Jersey and right. without doing it mm -hmm. over video. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Rahul, I'm very interested. You, you probably have more experience with Teslas than anybody outside of Tesla. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they come in, work with you guys. Are, are they interested in what you're doing? What, what's been the interaction with the company? Yeah, I mean, they're very supportive. They, you know, there's a lot of different people there, and they're very focused on building cars. So, <clears throat> the whole idea of mobility today is like, you know, great, glad you're doing it. We're 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 dealing with making these Model Threes, you know. So, um, uh, you know, I think they have clear plans to at least post-autonomy, get into the space. Um, I think there's a lot of human psychology issues that have to be dealt with in order to do that. Um, and, and, and I would say there's a handful of technical features that they have not yet enabled that seem relatively easy, but just not, like we haven't gotten prioritized. Like we think tire pressure should clearly be remotely accessible which it's not, or seatbelt states. So if you want to know if your kids are driving with their friends and somebody doesn't have a seatbelt on, you should be able to be alerted for that. Like today, you can't do that. So I think they have like a set of core foundational work to do, not a lot of work. Like they've done 95% of it and they've done the hard work, but there's a few things that are missing. Um, one other very important thing missing is if you don't have connectivity to the car, you now can't get into the car, which means you need a physical thing like a key or a card or something, and, and that's, a, that's another problem. But, um, you know, my guess is uh, they'll pull their heads up at some point and say, okay, now we're going to really make uh, a mobility platform here because they certainly need it for their own aspirations. They, they do, and with yeah. that, I'm afraid we're going to have to wrap this discussion up. Very interesting what you're doing here with Tesloop and Karmic. Okay, thank you. Rahul Sunad, thanks so much for coming on AutoLine this week. Really appreciate your insights. Thanks. And Joanne Muller from Axios, Sam Abilsamid from Navigant Research. Thank Great you guys, job. too. Nice very, very interesting what's going on here, and I hope you found it as interesting as I do. Underwriting for the production of AutoLine this week has been provided by RSM. for challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM, audit, tax and consulting for the middle market.